Welcome to Higher Potential with Indeed. Indeed's new 2022 DNI report has just gone live. It's one of the most comprehensive studies into DNI issues in Australian workplaces. Click the link in this episode's description to get your free copy. A welcoming workplace is built from the ground up with attention to diversity, inclusion, accessibility, and openness. But the way many leaders and companies approach this is often full of grey areas, uncertainty, and quite possibly fear. High Potential with Indeed is here to help demystify the process through the most powerful channel possible, conversations. Groundbreaking ones too. I'm your new host, Kathy Ngo, diversity, equity, and inclusion change maker and presenter. I've spent over a decade in HR, corporate affairs, and communications, but I'm most passionate about pushing the boundaries relating to diversity, equity, and inclusion. In this podcast series, we'll tackle the issues we face in the modern workplace, from diversity and inclusion to remote working, accessibility, fair hiring practices, and more. This podcast is an initiative of Indeed.com the world's number one job site with over 250 million unique visitors every month from over 60 different countries. Before we dive in, I wish to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are meeting today and to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders who may be listening. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. With mental health issues on the rise, it's important for employers to identify the common challenges their employees are facing and provide access to robust support in the workplace. After all, mental health issues are often invisible and carried by even the most high-functioning members of any team. In this episode, we explore how to create a work culture that normalises discussing mental well-being and supporting team members going through both clinical and situational mental health issues. Our guest this week is Tracy Lake, Chief People Officer at Great Southern Bank. Welcome, Tracy. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. So, mental health and mental wellbeing is such an important part of our lives, particularly at the moment with the pandemic. Talk us through a little bit about your role and what it entails on an everyday basis. Yes, thank you. I think you you mentioned a really good point. It's potentially more challenging given the pandemic environment that we've had over the last couple of years. But as the Chief People Officer, I've got the pleasure of, of leading the people and culture function. And our role is to really create the best team member experience so that our people can drive business outcomes, but importantly, really attached to our purpose. Um, and our purpose here at Great Southern Bank is helping all Australians own their own homes. I'm also a mum of two children and Actually, my daughter uh, suffers quite a bit from anxiety and ADHD. So I've got a lot of personal passion around this topic and and a keen interest in health and wellness. So what does that look like on a day-to-day perspective, particularly here in my role at Great Southern Bank? We're trying to think constantly about what is important from a mental health and wellbeing perspective for our people. What are the frameworks? What are the programs we're delivering? And in fact, in our roles, we're really influencing the culture across the bank about 
what it means to, to look after holistically the health and well-being of our people. We're constantly monitoring and exploring um, what's available that we can bring to our team members, what they value, and also just how they're coping in some of the day-to-day disruption that's happening in our world today in business. Wonderful. You mentioned that you've got a daughter. Did you have to homeschool as well? She's uh, now in university and my son had some homeschooling too. Yes, I think we were all challenged with the working from home and homeschooling and everything else that came with that. How was it overall at Great Southern Bank during that time? It was really challenging. We had this sort of divergence of occupations going on. Some of them could actually be working from home. And then we had our branch team members who were out serving customers each and every day. So people still need money to buy groceries and do other things in their lives. And so uh, we were at the forefront of that. So really trying to manage that health and well-being of a workforce at a very scary time for a lot of people dealing with this unknown right back through to supporting people and trying to relate and and connect via screen. So it was a really interesting period of adaption, I think, for everyone. Definitely. There's also this lingering misconception that someone either has mental health issues or they don't. It's like a binary, you're either yes or a no, black and white approach. I actually feel it's doing a lot more harm than good. Why does this point of view still exist in your view and, and where does it come from? Whilst I'm no trained health professional, I certainly understand it's a complex area and I guess as a qualified HR professional, you you see a lot of it in various people and and interestingly, you see it at various times. It's, It's not necessarily a binary or a constant that we're seeing in team members or people. But I guess some of this may stem from the research where certain mental health illnesses may be more genetic related and we also know that some of that is being more shared widely in the media and in other areas. So in the past, it may not have been as disclosed or available to the general public, but more and more we're becoming aware and knowledgeable around what is occurring in terms of mental health. And interestingly, I think that's becoming more of a positive because the more that we talk about it, the more that we understand that it isn't binary. And in fact, everyday Australians may be going through this at any one time with the research showing one in five Australians will suffer from some sort of mental health challenge in their lifetime, it's something that's going to potentially happen to all of us at some stage in our life. And and the severity of that will be different from for each and every individual and potentially each every time in which they experience this type of challenge. So why is it important that we acknowledge mental health as a spectrum, particularly given the cultural changes of the last decade? I think it is important that there is greater acknowledgement for mental health on the spectrum. And I think organisations and communities are really promoting and, and sharing that. It's everything right through from illness to wellness. And we know that we can also take a view of, of thinking about and caring about our, our general well-being as well to try and influence where we're at on that spectrum. And so it can be a bit confronting, particularly if we're in the illness um, phase. I think we forget sometimes that there are things that we can do that brings us up that spectrum and perhaps pushes us more into that wellness and thriving mode. And for a company, why should companies care? Organisations are now being seen more and more by team members and society as places where the workplace can 
really make a difference in this area. So everything from creating psychological safety right through to how are we getting the best out of our team members? Are we supporting them in their day-to-day wellness and, and health and life challenges that they need some support and knowledge and ideas? Showing that genuine care for the whole of person and the individuals that you have in your organisation is actually really important. So it's really extending your thoughts and thinking beyond mental illness right through to how can we get the best well-being for our people. Yeah, that's excellent. As a first step, what can we do to better educate workplaces, employers and employees around the spectrum of mental health? Firstly, understanding either the data or the return on investment. As I mentioned before, companies are more and more becoming expected to do this. You've got Atlassian doing its return on action report where they're saying more than one third of workers consider their employer the main source for their mental health support. So that's actually a really big expectation on us as employers. What are we offering, particularly in a talent short market? We want to attract the best people. Therefore, we want to make sure that we're offering things that really help individuals from a mental health and well-being point of view. Our strategy, we look at, we know that there's one in five that will suffer mental illness in a, in a 12-month period. So we're thinking about the five, not just the one, not just the person that may be suffering from a mental illness in that moment, but looking at this spectrum, as I mentioned, they're holistically educating leaders. So we need to actually educate leaders and team members more about this. It's, it is a complex topic. Our leaders certainly acknowledge that. And something I'm actually really proud of is that one of the highest rated and attended programs in our organisation is actually mental health training for leaders. And it's not a big course. It's not a a huge deficit out of their time of day, but it actually is a really important hour to really understand and go in deeply. What is it that we do when a team member is having some mental health challenges? What are the support mechanisms? What do you take on as an individual leader? And then what do you actually get some support or external help with? And how do you best do that in a delicate way? Other than that course being quite educational and practical, what was it that made it so successful in your view? The genuine care that we have in our organisation to recognise that we're here for the customer, but we're also here to create a great working environment. And and those two things together will also create a great brand and a great experience for our customers. There's a genuine care that is actually part of our DNA and culture. So we want to retain that and that then flows into a genuine care for our team members. We ask team members a lot about how is their well-being going? How do you feel right now in terms of their spectrum of well-being? What more can the company do? And we do this via team member pulse surveys. So we're actually really driving hard that message that we expect leaders to create a really great culture in their teams to be supporting their team members and that is actually their responsibility as well and they're the best place person to be able to help someone when they see them perhaps struggling. You mentioned pulse surveys as measurement of well-being and mental health. Are there any other measures that you currently use? 
Aside from the pulse surveys, we also offer total health checks. Every team member in the bank gets the opportunity to, to do a full assessment of their health. And that includes not only the physical side, but there are specific questions about how they're coping and their mental health and wellness as well. And so they get the chance to debrief all of that with a trained, qualified doctor. And then, of course, if there's any referral beyond that, they will refer through to medical professions from there. But it's from that we're also able to get a sense of how are our team members tracking and what is it that they can do better. We can get a global view of what are some of the common themes and, and threads. And the same from our EAP providers as well. We actively sit down, look at that data and consider, are there any trends? What are the things we need to do more of as an organisation? And, and of course, making sure the individual is supported there as well. And have you noticed any particular trends that you can share with us? Yeah, look, certainly being in the financial services industry, and I know it's quite prevalent across retail, it can be quite challenging for people, particularly in our frontline areas from a customer aggression perspective. There is a rise of customer aggression from a pandemic point of view. Individuals and families are all suffering from financial challenges with the shift in nature of work and, and so forth. That at times has meant more customer aggression for our team members to face. So that's been probably probably one of the biggest indicators of workforce strain for our people in terms of managing some of our difficult stakeholders and customers when things aren't right in their world. That was certainly a confronting period. I remember signs outside shops saying, respect our people and poor language or behaviour will not be tolerated. And I can understand that just with the pressures of everything and when you include financial stress, yeah, that's a huge thing. Yeah, absolutely. And we've had to really think how we manage that. Part of that is teaching some of our people how to de-escalate situations. We always start from an empathy point of view of what our customers are feeling and going through. And then of course, you've got your own individual safety. So how do we debrief people post those horrific incidents that they've faced for the day? And how do we keep their resilience built up after they've faced some of those horrible things as well? It is that aftercare and in the moment care that's actually really important in managing those situations. So there's still a stigma around mental health issues and a lot of people viewing it as a weakness. How do we break down this, this old way of thinking? It's an interesting challenge, isn't it? And you combine social media and things like that where life just looks all rosy and luxurious all of the time and it, it can potentially create an environment where people don't feel like they can actually come out and say, I'm not okay. And so I think that's something we've really got to work hard to overcome in general as a society. We love to share the good news, but sometimes not so much the bad. So I think we've got a bit of work to do to break down some of those perceptions that that mental health struggles equate to weaknesses and a number of contributing factors at any one time that might be impacting someone's mental health. And some of those things are uncontrollable, whether it's genetics, biology, social or environmental factors. Some of those things are sometimes outside of your control. It is a big thing that we need to do to overcome, particularly some cultures or potentially age or backgrounds you brought up to, to be strong or not show weakness. And the reality is that we all sometimes need some people to confide in or, or seek help from or lift ourselves or even lift our mood. That's where greater understanding of mental health is really important. Everything from symptoms and causes for people, right? 
right through to how do you be an empathetic human to others and, and show care and support. So I think that's actually really important. And there's no one size fits all to this either. Teaching people a range of different strategies tools, conversation starters. One of the things for us has also been about Are You OK Day? I know nearly every company celebrates that, which is absolutely wonderful. But what we've done is, you know, really held true to that Are You OK Day should be about that that conversation every day. It's not just a once a year event. We're making a really big effort with all of our health and wellbeing tools to actually be talking about them and normalizing them every day in our workplace. And in fact, we use Facebook Workplace to do that, just to keep it front of mind and keep the conversation going with everyone. Oh, that's wonderful. Do you moderate all the comments or is it your team that moderates the comments? No. So there's the general moderation that goes on through the communications channel, but everyone's encouraged to get in there and have their say and share their views and stories. If you see someone in the workplace that appears to be struggling with their mental health, so for everyday bankers, what would you recommend they do? We have a duty of care to look after everyone in our workplace. If you come back to the core basic safety principles, there's a duty of care to everyone around you. What I would say immediately is, how are you? What can I do to help you today to be your best? Is there anything that's troubling you that I could help or support you with? So I, I think, first of all, starting with the, the golden question of how are you or, or is there something I can do to help you when you see that someone may not be themselves? And sometimes it's that innocent question, you know, you don't seem yourself today. And it, it's how you deliver it as well. So I think being approachable, talking with people regularly, just asking them how they are and what's happening in their world, showing a genuine interest. They're the things that you can do to really get a sense of, is everything all right? And then if someone does need genuine care or support, who can they be supported by? Is it simple? Is it something their leader can help them with? Is it really complex? Well, we've got wellbeing specialists that can help them from a, a day-to-day perspective right through to longer-term injuries and it doesn't have to be work-related. We support our people, whether it's personal-related or not, to make sure they're getting the best care and support that, that they need to be themselves and to be the best version of themselves. I love how it's just as simple, although never really that simple, as asking a question, you know, you don't seem to be yourself today. How can I help you? How can I support you? But in saying that we can judge whether it's sincere or not. So there's that kind of balance, isn't there, between genuinely asking how their well-being is and also be seen as micromanaging because some leaders can appear that way. Oh, look, I think you raise a really good point there. You don't want it to be robotic. So you do have to think about when is the last time you saw someone and what was going on in their life and how can you relate to them? And are you the best person to ask that question? So they're three steps removed from you when you're asking that question. They're like, that seems bizarre. But if you're their immediate leader, you're in a really prime position to be able to ask that and ask that well with some good context. Yes, I think you're right. Being genuine in the way in which you do it and how you approach it is really important. We know that COVID-19 has increased the mental health struggles of millions across uh, the country. And with Indeed's 2022 Diversity Inclusion Report, estimating 31% of Australians feel more lonely after the pandemic. 
Are there any simple yet effective strategies that we can implement in the workplace to help workers feel a bit more connected and less alone, especially for those organisations who are either fully remote or doing hybrid work? I think fully remote work brings in a whole new challenge. But as you said, like they're quite astounding statistics, but it's actually really prevalent when we look at what's going on in terms of loneliness out in the communities. One in two Australians feeling reporting more lonely since COVID-19 was was a Swinburne University study. So it it is actually really um, prevalent and organisations do have to play a role in trying to support team members in creating connections. And and in fact, I I thought as a result of COVID-19 and hybrid working or fully remote, that the leader's job actually just became a little bit harder. I think you actually have to be much more intentional about the way in which you're bringing people together, creating connections and staying connected as well as a leader and an individual. We've also taken a, a quite a big approach of setting expectations with leaders about the environments that they're creating engagement surveys going right down to team member level and then also our team member sentiment and pulse checks about that also. So that's actually been quite critical for us to be able to to look at that and be able to go down and measure quite extensively down into our organisations what's occurring there. Buddy drop-ins and things like that are actually quite important as well. Having conversation cafes that people can drop into and, and connect with and ask questions about what's going on in the broader world as well as creating buddy connections with people has actually been really important. I've found that quite interesting in my own team. We We established a buddies system where you could catch up with your buddy as regularly as you liked, but recommended at least once a week through COVID. And that was amazing just to see some of the friendships become better known in the team, just giving people an outlet and even permission to connect with others was actually a really important way of trying to stem some of that loneliness. And in actual fact, making sure that we didn't prevent some people coming into the workplace was one of the other strategies we applied. So we actually recognised some people weren't in a position to just be at home on their own the whole time. So we gave them permission to come in and work in a centralised place if, if that was important to their situation. I'm intrigued by the Conversation Cafe. How do you organise that and what is it? Conversation Cafe is essentially almost like a learning loop. So you create a learning event, but you actually give it a little bit of purpose up front. And even our CEO offered to run some of those. It was really just an opportunity for people to to drop in, have a casual conversation about what's going on, sharing a little bit about personally what was happening in their world at that time and and any questions that people have. So conversation cafes are are wonderful because you can attach a topic to it. You can leave it a little bit unstructured, but just give people that opportunity to connect on a topic and share knowledge and, and learn from one another. I found it really useful for a lot of people in the business just to stay connected, particularly when you're fully remote. I also like how there doesn't seem to be an agenda. It's just a conversation and things like that can be quite authentic and organic as well. And you also mentioned having the CEO in as well, which is pretty awesome. 
Yeah, it's great. It's nice that people can actually come in and our size of organisation is wonderful like that. We do really try and make sure people have good access to all of our senior leaders and, and we're all normal humans too. So we want to be able to share that with everybody as well. And it was a pretty good leveller, I think, COVID-19 in that sense and that we were all in the same situation. So we all had stories we could share with one another in, in the same regard. I want to circle back to you mentioned the buddy system. How did that work and how was that organised? We actually have culture ambassadors in our teams as well. So we deliberately ask people each year to put up their hand and support leaders in trying to you know, create a good climate in the team. And the agenda is really up to them as team members to say, how can we inject some good energy into each of the teams that we have and make some things specific that we know the people will enjoy. So culture ambassadors have played a really great role in helping us do some informal pieces with our teams and structure a bit of a buddy system where you could connect with different people, assigned different people to connect. And then essentially it was up to those individuals just to make the time to to do that via video tools. And then when we're back in person, a lot of those meetups have continued just over a casual coffee or something like that. So how many uh, buddies have you connected with Tracy? I've had at least three during that time, which is really great. And in fact, I actually do a cycle of meeting with all of my team, at least individually every six months. So I've started to do that one-to-one. Prior to the pandemic, I had maybe four or five people together, but now I do it one-to-one. It seems to be easier for everybody involved. And I get to know people a little bit better that way as well. I really enjoy it. Yeah, you get to to hear all about the hobbies and things that they do outside of work and it just humanises everything, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And I learn a lot from them and what they're experiencing at the time as well. So we talked a lot about strategies to help enhance mental health, but what about some of the things that other organisations that you've seen or maybe in your own experience as an HR professional, what are some of the things that could go wrong when it comes to mental health support? Where do employers get it wrong? I think employers at times overextend the boundaries of their knowledge and capability. And what I mean by that is perhaps leaders overextend in what they do in terms of the level of care and their want to have more intimate information. I think at times we need to respect the individuals and their personal situation. And then we also need to know when we refer into more better equipped external capable people, either in the medical profession or other areas. So knowing those boundaries is actually really important. And I think the other area that we must do is we must so almost a bit like a broken record, we actually need to make sure things are available on repeat. Often people may not know that things are available or it might not suit them in the moment, but we should never assume that they may not wish to access it in the future. So I think having things readily available by good externals that are well-researched that you can offer on more than one occasion is actually really important. Mm, that's right. Yeah, just keeping those resources front of mind because sometimes in my experience with intranets, it's 
sometimes hard to find things, but if you've got a little nudge from an email to say, hey, did you know that this was available? Like, oh, yes. (laughs) And it's amazing how much word of mouth as well, someone else has accessed or been part of something and and they've gone, actually, that was really valuable to me. So it, it takes time sometimes to build a following around these pieces or for others to understand what's there. The final question, which is how we finish every episode of High Potential with Indeed is, what will it ultimately take to ensure a better and more inclusive workplace in the future? It takes effort from every single one of us to want to make our workplaces the most amazing places that anyone could go, that people aspire to want to be there. They wake up, they want to get out of bed and go and that I think every individual can be their true selves and that they're well supported. It's often not about money or status. Often it's about going to a workplace where you're challenged, you're respected for what you bring and that you can bring your unique self and diverse self to work and know that you're getting the best outcome for the business but also for yourself in driving your career. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tracy. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Higher Potential with Indeed. Before you go and start building a better workplace, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review if you found this podcast helpful. If you'd like to read our full DNI report, click the link in this episode's description and fill out the form. Just a quick note, the views and opinions expressed in this episode by the guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Indeed. Additionally, the information in this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all content we discuss is for general informational purposes only, and you should consult with a legal professional for any legal issues you may be experiencing.